Welcome to the Young Businessmen of Tulsa podcast. I'm your host, Evan Uitake, and I'm so excited that you've tuned in. Our mission is focused on connecting, developing, and inspiring young business leaders to find and pursue their purpose. This podcast is sponsored by Trost Marketing. Promoting your business through marketing is essential for growth. Without marketing, you lack the ability to create a conversation with your potential customers. At Trost Marketing, we provide marketing solutions that fuel growth. We are your source for all of your printing needs, as well as branded apparel and promotional items. If your business wants to stand out to potential customers, contact the marketing experts at Trost Marketing. Visit us at trostmarketing.com or call us at 866-492-7820. Young business leaders, welcome to the YBT Podcast. I'm your host, Evan Uitake, and I want to welcome you to podcast number 98. I have an exciting guest for you today. It's a guy that I keep running into everywhere I go, and I think that's because uh, he's as intentional about marketing himself as I am about marketing the companies that I do and involved in the things that I do. So this is a really exciting time for me to get to know him a little bit better and share you uh, share him with our audience today. His name is Dave Berlin. He is a certified top producer, consultant, sales, and leadership coach, which is officially, I think, the longest title that I've read so far. He <laughs> specializes in teaching ethical sales techniques and strategies that individuals and teams can immediately use to grow their sales. Dave, welcome to the podcast. If you don't mind, go ahead and tell the audience a little bit more about yourself. Well, I appreciate it, man. Thanks for having me on today. Yeah, so uh, what I'm doing now is helping helping people grow. Uh, mainly through their pocketbooks. Uh, it's amazing how much their lives change whenever they're they're making more sales and ma- making more money. But all that comes from a passion of just helping people. Uh, just a, a quick background for me, uh, Marine Corps veteran uh, back almost almost 20 years ago. Um, and after that, I, I worked for Thunderbird Youth Academy, which is like an at-risk boot camp for life atmosphere for, for high school dropouts really developed a passion for helping people in their personal and professional growth. And then I got into sales and I got into sales through a really incredible company, uh, DJing weddings. And I've DJed weddings all over the country, uh, helped op- open offices in multiple cities. And from that, I really just developed a passion to, you know, you know, be that student of the game and be learning, uh, reading a ton of books, helping companies grow, connecting people to the resources that they, they need to be successful. And it's just been a, it's been a trip. It's been a, it's been a great, uh, great journey. And it it led me to here, uh, working with salespeople, you know, all over the country. Well, first of all, Dave, thank you so much for uh, your service to the country, uh, as a a military, ex-military man, uh, and now in the civilian field, I think it's awesome that you've been able to take a lot of that experience that you have over there and transition over, uh, into the civilian side of things. And I think that's part of some of the things that you've actually been able to do with your sales training, but then also some implement some of those things that you've uh, uh, that you've learned in the military into your job now. How, how has some of that stuff transitioned over? Yeah. So, well, there, there's two sides of it. You know, one I see uh, it's really being part of a of a high performing team. You know, whenever I look at an organization like the Marine Corps, it's one of the the top performing uh, organizations on the planet. So even just to be part of that, you know, it helps you know, bring a lot of stability and structure to almost any job that I've had since then. Uh, so that's, that's one of the biggest things that, that makes a huge difference. The other is the, the discipline, you know, and the organization and having that structure um, and implementing that, those high standards into everything that I do. Uh, it's really crossed over really well. Like I, you know, just one example, 
doing weddings, I never would have imagined how important what I learned in the military would have crossed over to something like, uh, you know, running a wedding um, mm-hmm. and to do that over 350 times. It just, it made, uh, it made all the difference. I feel, I, I love how you brought up discipline. Why, why do you think that this, this shift is, is starting to happen where we have less disciplined people and what are some of the things that you've learned in the military? Like, how can we start to apply those to maybe we're in a situation where we have somebody who has a lot of potential, but they don't have a lot of discipline? Sure. Well, it's, it's one of those, it's one of those challenges, right? You know, I can't really blame any one source or anything like that, but I think one element that has, you know, definitely played into that, you know, people having a lack of discipline is uh, there are a lot of, you know, processes, procedures, products, and things like that out there that do create kind of that do it yourself. And and it's not that people can't do it themselves. It's just a lot of times when they do it themselves, they do it to a much lower standard than if they're not being held accountable, you know, whether it be by an organization or whether it be, you know, by having somebody like a coach or other people, you know, there's all types of DIY programs, you know, for fitness or something like that. Um, And a lot of people will do it for the first day and then they fall off because they don't have that accountability. Uh, and they don't have somebody that brings that out in them. So I don't want to blame it like on a generational type thing, you know, like, oh, it's millennials. That's why we don't have discipline. No, it's because there are so many um, products and processes that that do create that do-it-yourself. And with that, you get that that level of, of discipline. You know, I'll just do it myself. And then it's like, oh, I don't feel like it today. And then yeah. that slowly becomes like the <laughs> the standard. Which is uh, one of those things, like if you're an entrepreneurial minded person and you're out there uh, trying to build a business or create something, if you don't have that discipline, uh, you're kind of your own boss at that point, but then you, you're, it, it, it's going to take a lot longer for something to happen, or it may not actually be to the level of success that you'd like because you're not able to put a lot of your time and effort into it. Another thing that I think about just in this conversation is the amount of distractions that, it, that we have now. It's so easily to to get pulled in all these different directions for things that uh, are competing for our attention. And some of it is, it's really fun. There's a lot more fun things to do, like whether it be game, like video games, videos to watch, uh, TV content. I mean, we have full blown TVs in our pockets now and we have all of these distractions that really take us away from being committed to something. And we're able to uh, quickly reward ourselves with something that may actually interrupt our productivity. Whereas if we had stayed disciplined and stayed focused on something, we probably could have accomplished it that much quicker. True. Yeah. I mean, the, the biggest thing that I see is, uh, and you know, I never read the book, but there's a book where it talks about the 10,000 hour rule, right? It mm-hmm. takes 10,000 hours to be a master or be great at anything. The unique thing is it takes the same amount of hours. It just depends on how fast you want to do it. It's the same thing for, for any level of success. You know, I'm not saying that, you know, you know, we do have the the TVs in our pocket, but, you know, are you going to watch, you know, three seasons back to back of some show on Netflix that's not going to serve you? Or are you going to watch, you know, something that's going to help you grow personally or professionally? I mean, it takes the same amount of time. It takes the same amount of energy, but it depends on where you use that and you can't ever get that back. So I try to invest it in the, in the things that are going to help me and other people be successful. Yeah. I want to talk a little bit about uh, your time at the Thunderbird Youth Academy and helping out some of those kids. I know that's uh, 3,000 at risk youth um, and getting involved there. 
how do you how do you connect with an at risk youth? How do you? I mean, you're, you so you have the military training, you have mm-hmm. uh, the expertise, and so you you have this discipline that you have. But now you're walking into an environment that that a lot of that structure may not have been in that kid's life. How do you uh, start to implement and start to open conversations and really impact their lives coming into a situation like that? Sure. I mean, for me, it was, uh, it wasn't the easiest transition. Uh, it is a quasi military program. Uh, and I came from the Marine Corps infantry, so, which was a very, very military program. Yeah. Uh, so with that, uh, it did take some time to transition into that role because, um, you know, it had to be a very fine balance, right? You know, obviously we're not going to cuss at kids and things like that, but we really did have to, you know, be that soft velvet hammer, uh, and, and we really had to introduce uh, ideas to him. And, and, you know, that's where the early phases of where I learned that even though I was in a leadership role, um, I was in sales. You know, you know, I wasn't trying to get them to write me a check or anything like that. But there was a, a, an influence that had to happen there. And mm-hmm. regardless, you can't force people into into a way of thinking. They still have to they still have to agree. Right. They still have to be willing to change. So I was trying to sell them a way of life. Uh, Mm -hmm. so with that, the best way to connect was, you know, through, through our actions. I mean, we had to be consistent. We had to be, uh, trustworthy. We had to, you know, be reliable. Um, but we also had to ask the right questions, you know, to get them, you know, open to it. Uh, we had to show them that it was, you know, there was proof in what we were doing, uh, that would help them and their peers be successful. So it was, uh, it was definitely a great experience. Um, but I learned, it's kind of one of those weird jobs where I learned more about myself by working with them. It's like, we have, we have great equal influence on each other. And, and some of those kids, uh, that were just teenagers when I was, you know, 25, 26, they're still in my life today. And I'm still learning from some of them. Like some, I have one, one friend who's, uh, uh, she's a great mentor for a specific area in my life. And I used Mm -hmm. to be her, her drill instructor basically when she was like 16 years old. Uh, so it's been really neat to see those those uh, relationships come come full circle. That's awesome. Well, you said a key word in there where you're talking about this is is talking about having influence, and influence is a very uh, big part of being able to have that permission to speak into their lives and and hopefully motivate them and get them to uh, hopefully take those steps in those staying where they are. Um, and influence is a really big thing too. I'm seeing you nod on that. Can you talk a little bit about the importance of, of influence and, and how you actually uh, can create influence in whether it be uh, your business, whether it be with your employees or with at-risk kids? Yeah. So uh, great question. And it, it's really neat because I've, I've come to this sort of theory and I don't know if anybody else has talked about it or explained it this way, but the way I look at it in coming from two specific backgrounds, one very much of sales and one very much of leadership uh, at the root of both of those is influence. Uh, mm-hmm. The only difference is that there is that transaction. You know, there's still a decision that has to be made on both sides. You know, I will follow this person or I will buy what this person is selling me. Uh, there is still a transaction or a decision that has to happen, but one of them involves money and one of them necessarily doesn't. So I think it's the same influence because it, it, it's the same as if you're building a business. Do you want a, a bunch of customers to buy from you? Or in leadership, do you want a bunch of people to follow you? It's that same emotional intelligence of you know being intentional about how you want to influence the world uh, that people either follow you or buy from you or they don't. 
Yeah. So let's say, for example, you have a you have a company and you're trying to accomplish something, mm-hmm. and you're wanting to to uh, get everybody on board and get them involved with what you're doing. What are some things that you can do to start building that influence as a leader, so that you're you're having that team that's you know, they're willing to go to battle for you and risk their life for you like they would necessarily or, or, or kind of like what you're talking about in the military. How are you able to start creating that in the business world? Yeah. So um, I'll go back to that same sort of comparison, right, between sales and influence. Let's talk about it in the or I'm sorry, sales and leadership um, and how it pertains. Just the same as you wouldn't go into a sales environment and immediately start telling everybody this is why you should buy this product. You know, for great salespeople, they're going to do one thing first and they're going to start asking questions. And that's where a lot of people miss that level of leadership um, in companies. Right. They, they feel like they're a uh, you know, we're the we're the authority and they should just come in and say, this is what we're doing. Where a lot of companies miss that mark is instead ask questions. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and when you ask those questions, you create a lot more buy in. Uh, for people to get involved and you're not looking for everybody to buy in just like you're not looking for every person to buy your product. You're looking for some of those key people that really buy into that concept or idea and they bring it to life, right? Mm-hmm. They're the ones that, that, that really take that torch. And in some cases you may have a great idea as that authority. They might have, they might buy into that, but they also might have some great ideas to add to that. And it, it amplifies in ways that you never anticipated. Uh, versus some of the bigger corporate structures where they see this is how it's going to benefit everybody from the top down and they just try to implement and they get a lot of resistance and they get a lot of pushback because it's the same as if you're trying to force, you know, somebody to, to give you money. And instead you're, you're trying to force somebody to give their time, their blood, their sweat, their tears. Um, and you miss that, that opportunity, um, to get them to, to really buy in. So I think that's the, the biggest thing. Ask questions. So they ask the question, which is going to make them an actual participant in the decision as opposed to being a byproduct of the decision. So once they're feeling involved in the process, is does influence take over from there? Or, I mean, are we talking about like actually integrating some of the things that maybe not everything, maybe you already have an idea of what you want to accomplish but you start keying into some of that feedback that you're getting. And so now, as opposed to you just saying, you know, here's, here's what we want to do. And maybe they're all in agreement with you, but now you have that much more buy-in as you'd say, because they're, they're actually involved in, in the actual decision-making or they feel like they're involved in it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's, I, I think that's the difference. We all have the resources that we have um, and we can only accomplish so much on our own. That's why we have to build these companies and why we have to build these high performing teams is to accomplish more than we can do on our own. Um, and it's, it, that's the same thing, you know, how, you know, people are always going to have less passion than you do. Um, that's one thing that you have to understand, but it doesn't mean that they're completely ignorant to caring about their jobs. You have to be able to nurture that. It doesn't mean that just because they work for you, that they're, you know, less than, the more you invest in them, I mean, if you have a hundred percent passion and buy-in, the more you invest, you can still get somebody that maybe has ninety percent, mm-hmm. and then it sort of dilutes from there, right? But but the more that you care about people, the more that you ask questions and get them involved, uh, the further they can take you. 
Yeah. So let's talk about investing in our teams and, and investing in um, the people that we want to have buy-in. What does that look like? Is it spending time with them? Is it promoting them? Is it paying them more money? Is it you know giving them credit? Like, What does investing in your team look like to you? Well, I see it from all different levels. And, I, and I've been really thankful to work with or alongside or um, around some of the greatest organizations on the planet. And I see a lot of different things. And it, you know, you really have to understand that you can't just take something that another company does and make it work for you. There mm -hmm. has to be kind of your own flavor to it. Uh, but really, it's it's about how well it's received. And plus, you have different personalities. So some people may not want, you know, uh, a big fancy trophy, right? They don't want this big right. award. Uh, they just want acknowledgement or recognition that says, you know, you did a good job. You know, some people may want a monetary bonus and, and that's fine. You know, it's different for everybody, but I think it really depends on first off, what's conducive to the culture and what doesn't jeopardize that, what enhances that, but also what, what does the team want, you know, and some of it may be across the board, but some of it may be on an individual basis as well. Um, ways that you can still stimulate and get, get engagement from there. Yeah, I I, I want to kind of try to find that line right between like what's too much. Like, am I am I investing too much? Am I giving the like too many bonuses? And then it's just people are just doing it because they want the money, or like, do they actually benefit from it? I mean, are you are you a big proponent of kind of getting to know maybe core strengths and love languages, if you will, of your actual employees, and that's going to help dictate you. Uh, like how you actually incentivize them. And then what happens when you have an employee that's like, oh, well, I see you doing this for so-and-so, but you're not doing this for me. And I'd like, you know, you, how do you find that balance? That's a great question. The The challenge is, is sometimes, you know, given a hypothetical situation, you know, it, there's, there's lots of different answers to that. Yeah. But if you look at an organization where, you know, a lot of those things can be solved in the earlier stages of bringing people on board. So a lot of times mm -hmm. they can eradicate some of the people that would never fit into their organization before they ever get there. Um, now, there are a lot of companies out there that are shifting their culture or they're downsizing and things like that. Uh, what's important is to, you know, always be uh, be asking those questions. And then I, I think investing in people is uh is just the same you know whether we're investing time or money into a person uh it really does boil down to questions and of course that comes with influence you know what what's going to help you do a better job or mm -hmm. i've seen a lot of great companies that that they'll ask a lot of the tough questions and it's to say that hey if you don't belong here then we want to help you find a place where you do you know succeed the last thing and it's not that we don't want people around because they don't do a good job it's because they're not fulfilled you know, so how do we help people, you know, find that in whatever they want to do? Well, we're talking about asking tough questions, not just asking the, the regular questions, but asking the tough questions. And I think that's, I think that's hard for leaders sometimes because a lot of times you want to please everybody and you want to make, you know, everybody feel like they're a part of the team. But sometimes when you're shaping that team and you're creating that team, asking those tough questions is really going to allow you to create the kind of team that you want that is going to be that much more effective. And so, uh, you have to break a few eggs to make an omelet. And sometimes you got to ask those tough questions to find out, Hey, is this the right person for this team? And, and maybe you're picking up on some of the clues that they're giving you of like, maybe that this isn't a good fit for them. So you're kind of going through all those different pieces. And then hopefully if you've done a good job laying that foundation of influence, 
when you're asking those tough questions and you're realizing this person isn't a good person for the team, they ha you have that trust then to say, listen, I don't think this is a good fit for you. I can tell that maybe like your strengths and what you're trying to accomplish here uh, is, is not going to be a fit for this project. And so I'm going to recommend that you go over here and there, and instead of them kind of stiffening up and feeling like a failure or whatever else, they're actually able to receive that feedback. Well, yeah. So, you know, and I, I always love comparing, you know, different scenarios and different cultures and, you know, just like comparing sales to leadership, um, I'll go ahead and do that same thing in business versus the military. I mean, if you look at what it takes to be a brave leader in the military, you have to be willing to do some of the most physical, uh, you know, cha physically challenging things that no one else will do. And that's what bravery looks like, right? So that's mm -hmm. what people gravitate towards. Well, in business, you know, the odds of you, you know, walking into a, a, a an actual firefight, <laughs> right? are pretty slim. So I think bravery comes from the, the, you know, and people will follow the leaders that they see that aren't afraid to ask the difficult questions, you know, because it's the, the ones that ask the difficult questions that are really trying to protect their team and protect their circle. Um, so it's, it's critical. I mean, it's, it's one of the most important things that you can do. If you're a people pleaser, you know, you will please people to their face, but they're going to be in the, in the, you know, by the water cooler, you know, talking about how scared you are to really make the decisions that it's going to take to take us to the next level. Yeah. Uh, when you're saying like bravery and courage, I, I, I feel like, or I felt like courage kind of can be interchangeable in that too, because you do need to be able to make those tough decisions. And hopefully you've, uh, again, you've, you've gotten to the point with your team that you have that good foundation, that strong unit that you are willing to take anywhere for me, sometimes it takes that bravery to step out of it and say, I'm going to let my team handle this because I trust them. And for me being kind of a control freak in some instances where I feel like I'm always the best person for the job, mm -hmm. realizing that I do have that team from that bottleneck to allow them to do it. That's why I have them. That's why I have them in that role. I mean, for me, when I was, uh, for a long time, I was in sales in, in my organization. And, and as I moved up in the organization, at some point I had to release that. And I really enjoyed sales. I mean, I still do enjoy sales, but you had, I had to have that courage to know and that, and, and, and that confidence to know that I had the right people in the position and I had to let them do what they're good at. And so that was a tough decision. It was a, it, for me, it, it felt like it took some courage and some bravery because I'm like, all right, I'm now giving the sales department to somebody else and I have mm -hmm. to trust that they're going to be able to perform. But I, I would venture to say on the other side of that, once they had that confidence knowing that I had full trust in them that they could handle it, then it increased the amount of influence that I had in, in, in their leadership and, and, and in their lives. And then ultimately it allowed them to grow as employees and as team members as well. Well, and that's perfect. And here, here's kind of my hack to that. And, and this is a great, great example. I was working with one of my coaching clients. He, he does mortgage and he's one of the top 1% mortgage uh, loan officers in the country. Top 1%. Um, mm -hmm. The number of loans that he does a month, you know, most people just think it's not even real. Um, he came into coaching because he was trying to figure out how do I move the needle past that? If I'm in the top 1%, how do I move it past that? And so the thing that we've been working on the most is delegation. And it's one of those funny things, right? As a coach, a lot of times the stuff that I say is stuff that I've already learned or it's stuff mm -hmm. that I need to hear myself. So uh, I've kind of came up with this answer, you know, the best way to, to delegate, but also to, to know that, 
you know, because I'm not going to deny what got him here and what got you to that point is you like you did it. You showed up on time. You showed up early. You worked harder than everybody else. But, you know, they say, what what got you here won't get you there. And you do have to start releasing that. And it's hard to do and just do it and wait for people to mess up. Right. So I've got basically two questions that I always challenge leaders to ask people that they're they're delegating. And it's been fascinating to see how much it not only helps the individual that's growing into that role, but it also helps you understand that that people aren't. I, I don't know how to say it. People aren't stupid. Like they actually have a lot more, they have a lot more emotional intelligence than we give them credit for. But sometimes when we look at the title, we think that they're just not capable of it. Well, uh, the two questions are really simple. You know, if I were a leader and I had somebody that I was empowering with, with delegation, you know, I would tell them what needs to happen. And then I'd say like, here's the list of things. And then I would say, or here's the overall outcome of what needs to happen. And then I just asked two questions. What would you do? And let them, you know, they'll they'll have an answer. And especially if you ask this all the time, they already know that you're going to ask mm-hmm. this and they're going to be prepared. And then just say, why? What would you do and why? And, mm-hmm. and generally, the cognitive thoughts that those people produce is like light years of what you thought they were going to do or how you thought they were going to mess it up because you didn't give them the benefit of the doubt. Right. And without mm-hmm. just going into blind faith and be like, I hope he gets it. You know, hey, what would you do and why? And you don't have to do that forever, but especially mm-hmm. in that early transition, uh, it really does help them verbalize what they would do and why. And if there's anything that they're missing, you can at least say, hey, did you think of this? And that might be the the aha bulb where, <laughs> where you know, it all just comes full circle for them. And then they'll pick up more weight every single time. Yeah. Well, it, it, and it's, it's always good to stay involved within it. So like I have, I have an example of something going on. Like my sales team is trying to, uh, they're, they're trying to combat some of the things that our competition is doing. Our competition is finally starting to get a little bit of traction with some stuff. And we're like, okay, we need to squish this out. And so they're coming up with ideas. They're trying to think outside of the box and it's, and they're bringing them to me. Right. And so first of all, I'm a little torn because I'm like, all right, how did this happen to where they were able to kind of gain a little bit of momentum? And so I was able to get my head around that. And I was just like, okay, well, all right, what are the ideas? And so, so they start laying the ideas out. And and in my mind, I'm just sitting there go like kind of almost doing the old, we've already tried that. We've already done that. And it's like, I have to just release it and just say, okay, that, that was a couple of years ago that we did that. And, and we didn't have the kind of situation that we have right now. And you have to just, you, you have to put that ego aside because for me, it's one of those things where, I really do believe that the, the ideas that they're coming up are good ideas and they're the closest ones to the situation. Um, and so I'm, I'm asking them that, you know, what would you do? They're telling me what they're going to do and they're telling me why. But now I'm in the situation where they've justified it all. <laughs> it's not my decision. It's, and they're looking for and I want to give it, but at the same time, I want to give them all the reasons why I don't think it's going to work. And so it's, it's, it's kind of finding that balance of, yeah, we did try that before, or maybe, maybe doing this, but I don't want to squish it. Cause I don't want to, I don't want to come at them and just say like, I don't think that's a good idea. Cause I, I do think that all their ideas are good, but my, my first inclination is, is to dissect it all. And I, I got to be careful with that because I feel like if I go too deep on it, then, then I'm going to stifle their creativity. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And, and it's a natural instinct, right? Because we want to tell them it's like, uh, you know, it's very much like leadership is being like a parent, right? We don't want them to put their hand on the stove because we know it's going to burn them. Uh, but at the same time, if they're that intentional about it, let them, let them learn on their own. There is a, 
there's a an amazing thing that happens when they're able to not only come up with an idea, be able to let it run its course and totally fail uh, and get back up again. They have that much more ownership. I mean, maybe you don't get the deal. Maybe you don't beat the competition out on this run, but you've got, you've got people that are warriors for your brand, warriors for your company that are willing to go that much further the next time. And guess what? That next idea that spawns from that could be the thing that shuts everybody out. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't want to be clear. I don't think that their ideas are bad and I don't think that they're going right. to fail. Um, I think part of the struggle I deal with is it wasn't my idea. And so like, it, it's one of those things where, you know, if, had I been in that role and, and, and that situation was put before me, like I would have gone through all that stuff and maybe I would have come up with the exact same things. But again, it's that I've moved on in the roles and I've put these people in these positions and I, I've given them that trust and it's allowed us to grow and it's allowed me to pursue things that I don't want to, or uh, not that I don't want to do. It allows me to pursue things uh, that I wasn't able to do before. And so now I got this somebody in there doing a role that I was doing before. And I'm just in almost trying to re-inject myself into it. Be like, Oh, I don't need to take it here. I'll just do it for you. And, and it's man, it, I didn't realize it was going to be as big of a battle as it was in, inside my mind. Um, but as, as I kind of think about it a bit, little bit more, I was like, man, I really tensed up when they started, started trying to solve the problems. And I was like, I, why, I don't know, even know why I did that. I, I feel like I have the right people in the right place, making the right decisions. And I, and I actually agree. Like the more I sit down and think about all this stuff, I feel good about it. But man, I was just like, as I was receiving that, I'm like, Oh, just like, I, I don't know. It's like, I was re removed enough in the process that it, it, it bothered me a little bit that I wasn't the one making that decision. Yeah. Well, that's where growth happens in leadership. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, the good news is, is, is uh, I hopefully through the influence and everything else, like they, they feel comfortable going after that. And the, and the cool thing about it is it's their idea to get more aggressive. It's their idea to, to step that stuff up. Uh, and, and they're wanting to, to kind of go above and beyond with it, which is great. That's the kind of thing that we're looking for in this instance, because now, I think that we're going to be more productive and we're going to make a bigger impact because they haven't, we haven't lost market share by any means, but there's new opportunity out there and they're, they're hungry to go after that. And I love that about it. No. And, and you know, it's interesting. So another comparison from, you know, the business world sales and then leadership world of like military um, there's a book uh, about this um, extreme ownership. I know a lot of people have read that Jocko Willink, but mm -hmm. You know, the thing about it, most people don't understand is that in the military, you literally are problem solvers, mm -hmm. you know, and I think that's why, you know, so much of what I learned has been able to been crossed over, especially into the world of sales. And there's a lot of veterans out there that are crushing the world of sales. It's because we are very uh, problem solver orientated. Yes, we have, line, you know, lines that we need to color inside. But uh, man, if you give us a problem, we're going to figure it out. You know, yeah. we're going to figure it out better, faster, stronger. Um, the, the thing about doing that in some of those settings is you, if you stifle the creativity, you know, the, the morale goes down, right. And if, if they don't, you know, if they don't have the freedom to, to think and be creative and it depends on the industry, right. I know there's some stuff where you have to play pretty safe, mm -hmm. but I'll, I'll be honest. One of the things that breaks my heart, breaks my heart is to see, uh, people struggle with, uh, processes that don't allow the best idea to win, right? I uh, love seeing ideas come to life and I love seeing ideas, you know, flourish. And, and sometimes those ideas have to crash and burn. But, but man, if you put me in a, in a spot where you let me be part of the solution, 
uh, I'll tell this, I've only told this to a few different companies, but like, man, I'll bend over backwards. I'll take a bullet for you as a business owner and I'll wear the brand, you know, I'll wear mm-hmm. the brand because I believe in it because you let ideas come to life and we all get to learn. And I'll tell, you know, the, I'll tell all my friends about it. You know, it's just like, just like in business, if you have a great experience as a consumer, you're going to tell people about it. If you have a great experience as a, um, as an employee or as a team member, you're going to tell people about it and they're going to bring more people just like them. And that's, that's mm-hmm. where, you know, the, the numbers and the organization start to grow. And it, and it comes from letting people, you know, let, let people be involved in the solution. Yeah. I think about it a lot of, uh, a lot of what we're talking about, it sounds like these little trivial things, right? It's this little decision here, this little conversation here, but I think that's where you can't float through leadership and you can't float through life just by you know, doing what you think is best. You almost have to look at like, what are the ramifications of this decision? And, and if, if there's a situation that's coming up, yeah, you might be able to quickly assess it and steer the ship forward. But is this one of those opportunities that can be a learning opportunity and a teaching opportunity that will help that person long-term in the organization as opposed to, again, pulling it back to you being the end all be all for that, that information. I, I think that, you know, when you, when you look at it uh, from a standpoint of like when I was younger in business and I was in a leadership role, I thought it was all about me. And because I had the title, I could essentially kind of bark out orders and do whatever I want. And I very quickly realized that maybe I was right in every situation, but I didn't allow my team to be a part of it. And so what happened was, whenever I was in situations where I needed the team, I had already demonstrated to them and lost that influence that we were talking about earlier. I'd lost that because I didn't look at the long-term ramifications of the decision as opposed to the quick remedy of it. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And that's, again, that's just where it all comes with learning. I mean, you could look back and, and maybe that decision when it did click, that's like, you know, it's almost like, oh man, it only took me 15 years to learn that lesson. <laughs> right. But then it's, it's kind of like any, it's like putting your hand on the stove. Like you'll, you'll probably never do it again. You know what I mean? And it's enough for you to, to really be intentional about, about how you make those decisions moving forward. Yeah. I think the hard part about those, sometimes the stove isn't hot. And so like you touch it multiple times and you're sitting there going, well, the stove's not hot, so everything's okay. But it, it is that one time of recognizing that the stove can be hot. Mm-hmm. And so, and I, I think that's kind of what I'm talking about here is like, there was definitely instances where I could have backed down and just, you know, just let, let the thing happen and made some, made some suggestions or allowed that person to fail a little bit. And, and part of that is kind of saying, okay, you know, here, here's a kind of a controlled situation that I'm going to allow you to go out there and do this and kind of prove this out. And I don't think it's going to work, but I, I do trust you. And I want you to, to show me that it can work and, and what that looks like. And so as that's starting to happen, maybe they do, maybe they 100% are going to fail and they do fail, but now they, they've kind of learned that stove is hot or it can be hot at times things, even though it, to them, it doesn't look like it, it's hot at all. Right. That's it. I love I love that we're talking about all this stuff because it's allowing me to reflect a lot <laughs> on my past leadership. But that's part of the reason that we have this podcast. It's to kind of give some of those clues that success leaves behind. It gives uh, some of those personal experiences that we've had in our leadership journey, uh, and hopefully, it's relatable in, in enough of a in a in of a conversation that maybe you don't have to go through the whole. I have to touch the stove to know that it's hot, or I don't have to stick my finger in the electrical socket to know that. I'm going to get zapped because I've heard so many stories of people doing those same kinds of things. And I think especially for, for young business leaders, 
we don't know enough. We think we do. And, and I think that's part of our problem is we think that we have it all figured out because, man, I think when I turned about 14 years old, I think that's when I had the, everything figured out. I, I knew right. everything. And yeah. so like I've, I've had this illusion of control, this illusion of knowing it all. And then unfortunately, I've had to have a string of failures to kind of wake me up and jolt me a little bit to realize maybe, maybe I don't have all the answers. Maybe I don't have all those things. And so I'm hoping that the audience can kind of grab onto that a little bit and realize that, you know, when you're looking at some of these examples and you're reading these books and you're teaching yourself and you're trying to find mentors and these mentors are saying stuff to you and you're trying to soak it all in, it kind of goes back to that self-reliance that I talked about when I was talking about, um, the uh, the consequences of invulnerability is when you have that self-reliance, you never think anything can happen to you. Uh-huh. And so you get into the situation of thinking that you're invulnerable and nothing bad can go wrong. And so that anytime there's a teaching opportunity uh, and a learning opportunity, you sit there and go, well, I could see where that would happen to them, but that wouldn't necessarily happen to me. I would clearly know that that, uh, that, that stove is hot and so I'm not going to touch it. But I think that there is some instances where you have to kind of expand your 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 mind a little bit more to realize that you don't have all the answers, you don't know it all, and you need to find that humility uh, to recognize somebody who is uh, an expert in their field, who is somebody who's been there and done that, and to learn from that expertise because, man, that will help accelerate this process, for that leadership process for you. Uh, so much more, I would say exponentially more than you trying to figure it out on your own. No, that's true. And that's the power of, that's the power of leadership. But and I mean, more specifically what I'm doing now, that's the power of, of coaching, right? Mm-hmm. Is, you know, the, even the, the best leaders inside of an organization cannot kind of have blinders on to the rest of the world and get maybe too caught up with the way that, that, you know, they think it should be and, and, and not look at things from a, a very high level view. Um, in coaching, it, it's funny because I, and I, I know there's a lot of people out there and I see people go on rants on all the different sales groups out there and they're like, coaches are, you know, frauds and this and that. And it's like, how could you teach somebody how to, you know, make six figures if you've never made six figures yourself or, or whatever? And it's like, well, I don't care anything about the mortgage process. Like from the time a loan goes in to the time that somebody gets their check, I don't care about that stuff. Mm-hmm. Like there's a process for that. Every company's different. What I care about is, the people on the front end, how do we get them to start doing the things that are going to make them successful and stop doing the things that ruin their, you know, ruin their lives. Mm-hmm. Like, and just by, and sometimes it's not anything groundbreaking. It's just helping them move the needle in a few areas of their life uh, changes, changes the world for them. Right. And that's, that's why, you know, we're not, we're not selling coaching. We're literally changing people's lives. We're changing the way that people spend their time with their families, the way that people change their time, uh, you know, in prospecting and doing all the, you know, doing the work. Um, and it, it's something that no one's ever been able to explain to them before. Yeah. Right. Um, so that's, that's really the interesting point in being objective and coming in. And I'm, I mean, I'm a team leader for some of these people, but I don't even work for the company that they do. Right. Yeah. I'm, I'm just an outside source. So, well, and you're not you're not rooted into the we've always done it this way mentality. You're kind of coming at, from, at it from a completely different angle. And I think sometimes it takes those fresh ideas. I, I think about something that we did recently where we were kind of reviewing uh, adding a new product. And <laughs> I, I kept going back to, well, this has never been approved before. And but it was had never been approved for, before for a customer that we weren't servicing anymore. 
Uh-huh. And so this was a brand new product. And so, but I was stuck in that mentality of why would we bring this product on? Because I know it's not going to be approved. And I ha- had to actually sit there and uh, have the conversation. Hold on a minute. We're not, this isn't the same thing anymore. So it like, we really need to look at everything again. And it, it like completely blew my mind of, man, I was so uh, trapped in this specialty uh-huh. that when I got outside of that, I was at a point where I was like, okay, I almost need to relearn the rule book. And I almost need to look at some of the things that maybe I had, had pushed off to the side over here. And the good news about it is my competition was probably the same way. So we were able to implement some things that hadn't been in the industry because we were carrying baggage from a previous industry that, uh, that didn't allow it. And it actually made sense for this industry. And so uh, you have to have that, that, that extra uh, angle, that, that person that has, you know, maybe your best interest in mind, but they, they're not carrying everything else into that relationship and into that conversation to help you maybe uh, crack open an idea or crack open a solution to a problem that you, it, it looks like a problem because you're trying to use the same tools you've always used to solve it. And there's a whole new specialty tool that's specifically designed for that problem. And then they're able to bring that and hand it to you on a silver platter. Yeah, it's, it's fascinating. And it's, and it's always neat to see it come together. Um, and, and that's one of my favorite things, like I said, as a coach is, I don't know anything about your business, but I mean, or I don't know anything about sometimes the inner workings of the business and I'll, I'll go through and understand what their sales process is. Yeah. But a lot of times they're stuck and they've been stuck going in this one direction thinking this was going to be the, the end all be all. And I was like, have you even tried this? And they're like, no. And then because it's new and it's shiny, you know, I'll still ask the questions of how do we make it work? You know, why won't it work? You know, I still dig into deeper levels of, of what it means. You can't just say do this and, and watch what happens. You want buy-in. You want them to understand why it's a thing. Uh, but then they go out and do it. And it's just like, oh, my gosh, that's completely <laughs> changed my entire business. Yeah. Right. Well, that's partly you bringing your experience, your unique set of experience uh, into a situation that uh, uniquely makes you you. That's what that's that's kind of like the value that you bring. And I think sometimes people feel like like the value that they bring is is limited because, you know, who am I to do this? Who am I to, to say and, and, and make these suggestions? But in some cases, you're uniquely qualified to bring that experience in. And I, I kind of want to transition a little bit into the conversation we had earlier about um, your, your zero degrees of success and talking about the difference between having all the experience in your world, having all the, or, or not all the experience, but maybe having all the education in the world and having all of uh, the certifications or whatever else that you think you need. But on the other side of that, being in a situation where like your experience is actually probably more, uh, more valuable to an organization than maybe what a degree would be, or maybe what um, like a work, a potential, a potential uh, certification would be and not being afraid to go after things because you don't, you know, hit all the criteria. Like, I think you go into it with uh, your unique self saying, you know, I actually do think that I'd be a good fit for this. And here's why. And I think in a lot of cases that will overcome some of that uh, uh, experience gap. Yeah. And I've, you know, it's funny because I'm a lot more confident in telling this now, you know, I've, I've always been, you know, really reluctant to share some of my background because I'll, I'll, I'll be honest. The reason why I wanted to work at Thunderbird Youth Academy is because I too was at risk youth, right? So I was going back to serve 
myself. And that's where like, I really learned that I wasn't just talking to those kids. I was talking to, you know, the, the stupid 16 year old me Yeah, and, you know, <laughs> trying to talk some sense into me by talking sense into them. Uh, well, where that, that really started to take, you know, a lot for me is that I didn't, I didn't graduate, you know, I didn't graduate high school. I never went to college. Uh, I did go to the military and I did learn a lot of life lessons there, but I did find myself in a lot of situations coming out where it's like, Oh, you have to have this degree or you have to be qualified here, qualified there. So I've never been afraid to work harder than anybody else. And I've also never been afraid to build powerful relationships and serve people. Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of times those relationships have opened up doors uh, for me to, to get to, you know, do some really incredible stuff. So, so that was where, you know, I learned part of it, but then the other side of it was, yeah, I mean, if you're going to pick somebody that, you know, has a degree for whatever reason over somebody that can get the same job done, you know, I don't, I don't really understand that because, you know, there's so, so oftentimes that, you know, it's not about what somebody's capable of. It's really a matter of what results they can bring to the table. Mm -hmm. Um, so now after, you know, 10 years in, in sales and, and, you know, seeing it from so many different lenses, so many different industries, so many different organizations, um, you know, there's all kinds of, I, I mean, I, I work with people that have all kinds of degrees, right. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they're still coming to me saying, what do I do? Yeah. You know, what do I do? What do I do? How do I, how do I get better? Um, and that's, you know, that's, what's really been fascinating for me. And, and the whole idea of zero degrees to success is, uh, and what I loved about the opportunity to be on your podcast is, yeah, success does leave clues. Mm -hmm. And if you look at some of the the most powerful authors, influencers, and, and people out there that are crushing it, they'll write books. They'll give away free content. They'll give you all the answers. Here, do this. Mm -hmm. um, and most people won't because, you know, they, they think that they've already done all the work. Maybe they've already got the degree and they're just waiting for society to catch up to them. And it just doesn't work that way. I mean, yeah. There's, there's all kinds of people out there that are ready to, you know, work harder than you are. You just have to be, you have to be ready for that. So that's really the whole concept behind the idea is that, you know, I, I, everything that I've learned, I've learned from getting out and practicing, but mm -hmm. also from just reading books and, and not just reading books. Cause I know a ton of people that, that read books and they can quote them, but they can't ever apply them. So I've you know really made it a point to not only get out there and apply some of these principles from books see what works and see what doesn't. Uh, but for the ones that really change my life, I try to work with the author, you know, in some capacity, uh, I try and serve them or, or you know, uh, help spread their message and help spread their word. And that just opens up more, more doors. <laughs> uh, it's funny that you bring that up because uh, as a con, so a con I, I, I view myself as a content creator because of the podcast and because of like uh, some of the speeches that I've given recently. And so one of the, the funniest things that I noticed this, and, and it's maybe because my stuff's not very good, but um, I don't get a lot of feedback. And so I would think that as an author, even like the really successful ones, I don't think as many of them are actually contacted as you would assume that they would be. And so when you're reaching out to these guys and you're talking about how the book impacted them or impacted you or like how you're going to implement it and you'd love their feedback on it, I guarantee you if somebody listened to one of my past podcasts and applied some of the things that we talked about and was able to grow because of it or or get a better job because of it or whatever else like that is the that's the whole reason that I do a lot of this stuff is because I want to help other people and when I have a real life application of that where that actually happens that like gives me like that that is so encouraging and so exciting 
And I don't think a lot of people actually go back out to the author or back out to the actual person and share that stuff with them. So they're almost like kind of hungry for it. And so it, it's almost like a, a out of the box idea that you would assume would be something that everybody does. Well, it depends on how you look at, you know, how you look at society, right? You know, there's all of our, like for society that looks to certain actors and stuff like that, right? Oh, this is a celebrity. This is somebody of, of, of influence, right? If you look at sports, a lot of people follow sports and stuff like that. You know, uh, people love Westbrook or whatever, you know, like, oh my gosh, I love that person. Music, right? If you have like a favorite band, like Red Hot Chili Peppers, like you might listen to their stuff and it might influence you, but like, it's almost like I'll never meet that person. I'll never talk to that person. I might see him in concert, but that's it. You know, and it's yeah. like this, uh, we're conditioned to, to think that the people of influence will never have anything to do with us. I can tell you a couple of just, you know, just one specifically, uh, that changed my whole perception of that. And it's uh, Simon Sinek, you know, start with why big mm-hmm. Ted talk, all that stuff. I mean, his, his Ted talk inspired me to do a Ted talk, his book, inspired me to, you know, really get involved in and be passionate about helping veteran organizations. Uh, it's helped me uh, grow in my life. And just in that one book, I was like, man, this guy's changing the world right now. I want to change the world too. I'll just <laughs> send him an email. I'll send him an email and see if he'll be my mentor. Right. And I did. And most people are like, oh my gosh, you emailed Simon Sinek. What did he say? And I was like, well, I never talked to him. Yeah. But what's really crazy is his CEO personally called me. Mm-hmm. Right. Just because she read that email and she's like, oh, my gosh, like to, to think that you got so much out of the book, but you're also willing to reach out. Like, how can we help you? And mm-hmm. that's where they they let me become a facilitator for for the Simon Sinek, the Golden Circles, how to help people discover their why. They opened up all kinds of doors and resources for me to connect with partner organizations. Uh, and it was just from from reaching out. You know, what I mean, I, I can tell you this. It doesn't matter how many season tickets you buy to go see the Thunder. They're never going to put you on the court and let you take a couple of free throws. You know what I mean? Like it's just not going to happen. But for for people that are writing books that are trying to get their message out there, they're seeking validation to to find people who believe what they believe. Reach out, tell them how much it impacted you. You'd be surprised on on some of the doors they might open uh, or or the connections that might happen from it. Yeah. <laughs> so a funny story. I, I emailed George Kaiser. George Kaiser is a guy, big guy here in Oklahoma, and uh, I through some dark uh, arts was able to get his email address and uh, asked him to be on the podcast. And I actually did not expect a response at all. I mm-hmm. figured this guy is so busy in the world that he has no time to be on this podcast. But I was like, you know what? If I never ask him, I, he, 100% he will never be on my podcast. And uh, so I said, you know what? I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to email. So I wrote him a nice little email, nothing long, very respectful, told him I was for our community and for our state and just thanked him for all that and just said, Hey, I'd love to share your message with our audience. I'd love, uh, I'd love to have you kind of be on the podcast and be a part of it. And I just floated it out there and I didn't hear anything for about two days and I was in the gym and working out and I, I periodically will, you know, between sets, you know, check my email or whatever. And sure enough, I had an email back from George Kaiser 
politely telling me no, but it, he took the time to wrote, to write me an, a, a, an email. And it's not like a one sentence email, like, no, thanks. It was like, he actually took some time. He appreciated uh, the fact that I had uh, reached out to him and, and, and said, you're welcome for a lot of the things that he was doing. He said, you know, given my schedule, um, there, I, ha- I basically have to say no to everything, but I, I'm really honored that you would consider for me, that, me for this. And that made my day, even though it was a no, it, the fact that it was the, one of the yeah. nicest no's that I've ever, ever gotten really uh, kind of inspired me. It's like, if I, if I think, hey, hey man, who, who would be a good person for me to reach out to for the podcast or just in general for business or whatever else? Like that fear is now starting to dwindle more and more of rejection. And now it's like, hey, one of these might actually stick. And it kind of encourages you to be more outgoing and to push yourself to that. To, to your point, you actually were able to connect with them and get involved with the organization and they absolutely uh, created opportunities for you that you would have never had, had you never sent that email. True. Yeah. It's been, it's been phenomenal. (laughs) Well, that's awesome, man. Thank you so much for kind of, you know, coming on here and, and, and sharing a little bit of your story, a little bit of the things that, that you've kind of grown with, with, uh, the uh, veterans organizations that you've been a part of and the uh, sales and, and leadership stuff, coaching that you do. Uh, I always give my guests an opportunity to speak directly to the audience. And, uh, you know, we're, we're kind of just uh, weaving in and out of topics here today, but uh, you know who the audience is, you know, uh, kind of where they're at in their leadership journey. I want to give you an opportunity to give them your message to young business leaders. Yeah. I mean, if I could, if I could say anything, I, I kind of have to skip back to, my three truths, right? The three things, uh, I think Lewis Howes does this on his podcast. He asks all the guests, if you weren't able to take any of your possessions with you, uh, you know, nobody could see any of your content. Like you're, you're on your deathbed and all they're going to get is this note card of the three things that you know to be true. Uh, for me, it's, it's been consistent. And number one, it's the fact that your network is your net worth, mm-hmm. right? So it's the people, you know, and the relationships that you build that will carry you through every storm. Um, Number two, you know, we become what we ultimately choose to learn. And I used to think it was about the books that I would choose to read uh, or the content that I did, you know, decide to digest. But it's, it's also the lessons that we learn from every situation. So we could take it with a grain of salt and learn from it or we can be bitter and, you know, hate the world. Uh, so really be intentional about what you're learning. And then finally, we all have the same 24 hours in a day. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and when it comes to, to time, we don't get that back. So for me, I really try and be intentional about the things that I'm learning. I, you know, there's a lot of great shows out there on Netflix, you know what I mean? But I'm not, I'm not watching that stuff. I'm, I'm really trying to learn, you know, how to be better at influence, how to be better at leadership, how to be better at sales. Um, and through that learning, I learn it through other people. So mm-hmm. I, I always love to connect with, with people that are stuck, uh, that are just looking for, um, a different way of thinking. Right. And, you know, for people, you know, I always love to connect with people that read books. I run a, a mastermind group, uh, at five 30 in the mornings on Fridays and people think I'm crazy. Well, the people that show up for that are the people that get it done. Right. So I'm always looking to connect with people that are, that are interested in growing. Um, and then for, for the way that it goes with sales, I mean, I I'm just there to help, you know, mm-hmm. and sometimes we can help, sometimes we can't. Um, but I'm always interested in connecting with organizations that do want to grow, uh, in any way that I can do that. I'm always happy to help. (laughs) Well, I don't know if you listened to the podcast before, but one of our mantras here is choose to connect, seek development and be inspired. And you hit two of those with your, your three truths. So I think we're kind of on the same wavelength, 
uh, right there. So uh, if you don't mind, tell the audience, how do they connect with you? How do they, how do they find you? Um, so if they want to learn more about what you're doing with your sales coaching or some of the other organizations that you're a part of. Yeah. So website's pretty easy. Uh, it's davemeansbusiness.com. Uh, so that's the website that you can go to. And then uh, I'm on all social media. So I'm on LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook the most. Uh, and luckily, there's uh, there's not a whole lot of Dave Berlin's out there. So uh, <laughs> when you search for Dave Berlin, you'll see see me with the bald head. And sometimes you'll see a gigantic boombox. Uh, and you know that's me. Yeah. And uh, real quickly, when is your event coming up? Uh, so, oh, so the Lunch and Learn event that we have coming up is August 29th. Uh, and that's going to be at the Bond Event Center. So tell everybody a little bit about that because this is going to this is actually going to be released uh, August 13th. So it'll be kind of leading up to the event. Uh, if they're in the Tulsa area, how what is it and how do they find out about it? Yeah. So the the event is basically it's called Why Networking, right? So it's it's going to be sales uh, salespeople, sales team leaders, business owners, influencers. Uh, it's really just a unique opportunity to network at a higher level. Um, there's all, you know, kind of going back to the Simon Sinek thing, you know, everybody can learn how to give a better 60 second commercial of what they do. Nobody cares, right? That mm -hmm. may not even be the same business card that you're passing out six months from now. What people <laughs> care about are why they do what they do, right? So we're going to connect on a much deeper level. We're going to find out, you know, uh, one thing that we learned at a big group down in Oklahoma City is everyone has dogs, right? So uh, there's the, the common threads that connect us. Uh, so we'll be talking about networking at a higher level, mm -hmm. uh, a little bit of uh, sales training and how to build a network of endless referrals and free lunch. Mm -hmm. uh, it, and I, I want to say this, I'm very grateful. I actually launched that event on Friday um, with 125 seats. That was Friday. Today is Monday. Uh, we've already had 102 people RSVP. Oh, well, if you're listening to this and it's yeah. sold out, uh, stay tuned for the next one. But uh, right. I want to make sure that we at least told people about it because uh, uh, I, I think it's a cool event that I'm definitely planning on checking out. Yeah, we're going to open up more seats. I mean, we might have to get the BOK Center. I'm oh, totally okay. kidding. I'm totally kidding. <laughs> uh, but no, it'll be great. Dave, thank you for sharing your story and for sharing some of the clues that success has left behind for you in your entrepreneurial journey. Uh, listeners, remember, choose to connect, seek development, and be inspired. We'll catch you on the next podcast. Young businessmen, thank you for listening. I hope you've enjoyed this podcast. And if you'd like to learn more about the Young Businessmen of Tulsa, check out our website at www.ybtok.com or email us at ybtoklahoma at gmail.com. If you live in the Tulsa area and would like to hear one of our great speakers live at our monthly luncheon, we meet on the second Monday of every month from 12 to 1 p.m. Like us on Facebook for details about locations and upcoming speakers. Lastly, if you like what you hear, please leave us a review on iTunes and share us with your friends. Thank you for tuning in to the Young Businessmen of Tulsa podcast, where we connect, develop, and inspire young businessmen to find and pursue their purpose.